Welcome Dreamnasium. to the commentary for Redshift yeah. in Dreamnasium. I am your co-writer, co-producer, Jeffrey Bridges. I am Susan Bridges, co those things as well. And of course, we are joined once again by Mr. Jeffrey Thorne. Yay, me! The author. <laughs> the author, creator, writer. Okay, whatever. Source material, man. Um, this was the first, first short story I ever sold. Really? Uh, I sold it to... The L. Ron Hubbard Writers of the Future Contest. Oh, wow. Uh, I was a finalist. It was a finalist in that year. I forget what year it was. But that was also the year that they had so many great stories. Now, God, it's All right. Uh, I have rules about which contests I would ever enter. Uh, well, yeah. Into, I don't pay to get in. And they either give you a check at the end of it and or publication. Okay. Right? Publication would have been fine because you would have got royalties even if you got to check it up front, whatever. This one was a very prestigious. I don't even know if they still do it. Um, it I always constantly was explaining whatever your feelings about Scientology, and everyone has some, uh, this was not that. It, Elrond, whether you like his work or not, was a fairly big science fiction writer for a few minutes. And this contest was named after him. The people who were the judges were all big luminaries at the time, either editorially or writing-wise. Uh, so you're getting these like great people who read your story and make a judgment. It was also at a time when I was having a hell of a time making it as a screenwriter and thinking I was made a wrong choice with my and a lot of it, a lot of Hollywood is about handshakes. And I don't mean it in terms of like who's your friend necessarily, but like there's a let's meet the person component where you go into an office and you meet the people who are going to hire you and work with you for you know, four months or five months, a year, whatever it is. And you can lose a job that you're perfectly qualified for because you don't quote unquote click. Right? Oh, sure. But prose doesn't work that way. Uh, they read a story, and if it fits what? the needs of their publisher or it fits what the needs of the publication, you are getting bought. No one cares how old you are, where you live, right. what color you are, your gender. Well, they used to care about women, so women had to change their names, right? which sucks. And hopefully that's done. But for the most part, it was a cleaner, flatter road. So I wrote this story, and I had, it was the second year I tried to get into the Strange New Worlds with a studio. Competition with Star Trek story. Mm -hmm. Same year, both stories sold, which Best was great because I've been failing, like straight up failing everything. Rejection letters, rejection letters. Sure. And then the Star Trek thing came through, and then the L. Ron Hubbard thing, thing came through. Both of which, none of which would pay your bills, by the way. There's no, not enough money in either of these things to do more than offset your rent for a month. At best. Okay. But from the point of view of a writer who's getting nowhere, to have people who don't know you, faraway people, people whose names you've read in bookstores or seen mm -hmm. on a TV screen, whatever, say, you know what, this one we like. I didn't even win. I was just a finalist, which meant uh, we were on the silver medal tier, right? Because there was below us, there were semifinalists. Um, even that was enough to fuel you for like, okay, I can do this. I, I, I'm an actual writer. Sure. There's, no one had a no one had an axe to grind. Nobody had a bone to pick. They just read a story, you know. And people really seem to click with Redshift for some reason. And I think it's partly because of the mixture of sci-fi and magic that takes place in the story. Um, and I don't. I wasn't a good enough writer at the time to actually understand why it was working with people. I still don't know. Like 
of all the stories I've written, this one seems to be one that people read and go, wow, that's great. You know, and even it ended, like, I think you guys actually fixed the ending because the ending's a bit of a Now, as an older writer, I look at it, your, your ending is, I think, better than the ending in the story because of things you did with the characters of this piece, which are not in the story. Um, but uh, it's, it's something people dig it. Well, it was definitely when we read, it was one of the ones where, like, we have to do this one as one of the, the stories in this show, but it was very daunting because you wrote the story non-linearly. Yes. And we wanted to see if we could preserve that, and there was no way to do it without, like, an announcer saying two days earlier, right. one day later, and we were like, that's going to be too jarring. So what we did was we took all the pieces, reorganized them linearly, and then set everything in one night. So the whole story happens over the span of, like, a, a few hours. That's correct. Instead of... The, like multiple days that it happened in the other and it's for so, clarity for the right audience. to make sure that it came through clear yeah. and, and so, as, a, as the source material guy right the challenge you didn't hurt the story that's all i care about weapons and venue it works it's a different it's an adaptation it's literally an adaptation when you go read the story it's not going to vibe on you the way this audio does it's the same story same facts and evidence all that and all the events are the events but the order is slightly different and the, the joke between characters is somewhat different on purpose that's why if you look at the title in the book there's actually a, one of those forward slashes between the words red and shift as with many of my titles there's actually a clue there right it's both takes place on Mars also refers to the the when light bends into the red spectrum and that's called the red shift and uh, it also means shifting of point of view of character in the story um, can't really do that that effectively obviously in, in an audio drama this right. size so uh, you guys did a good job thank you other, one more thing we'll get to yep. it in a minute there's a whole bunch of stuff in here in this show that ain't in the book that is great do you think so yeah man um, so yeah in that opening scene we had um, Pete Milan as Bruminski and uh, Kristen Bays is Geo and Darian Lindell is Cinda, and of course Joe J. Thomas is our most excellent red. And that Dude. accent and that that depth to his voice, that that like bass Joe tone is, to it. Yeah, Joe's. Uh, he's we in knew a ton Joe of was gonna be the guy. Yeah. I was so upset. I killed the character after I heard it. <laughs> I was like, damn it. And then here we have um, Barbara Dillon as the computer and uh, Shane Nolan as Amina Fiskothker. Now, Amina is so great. I love her so much as a character. She's so brilliant and devious. Ruthless as hell. She's great. (laughs) I wanted, like, what if Emma from, from the book Emma was put into a gothic it's basically a vampire story in the future. How would she function? Hilarity ensues. In this one, there was, um, I remember uh, Darian specifically, what, Cinda's lines are really weird. She speaks, like you wrote them. A weird patois, right. Right, and so she was like, how do I pronounce these? Did I do okay? I don't even know what this You're word fine. is. Or like, it, it sounds good, it's fine. Yeah, we love it, go. Yeah. Well, that's a hard part, again. Yeah. And again, you guys, this is going to be a theme if you listen to these, these uh, commentaries back to back, but adaptation is a bitch. It's just really hard. And it gets worse when you're dealing with like a Star Trek or Farscape or something like that, where there's all these made up names, made up concepts, made up religions, made up slang, all kinds of stuff, which works great in a 
book because whatever you think is the reader is right. You don't have to check with anybody. Pronunciation is fine until you hear it and goes, oh, it's not spoke, it's Spock. You know, right. like you, why would you think spoke? You're an idiot. But um, in this case, it's the same thing. A lot of my writing does this. I'm a very big fan of how language moves and it reads great and all that. But when an actor has to say it, sometimes you're like, oh, good Lord. You know? Yeah, it's very interesting with Cinda's lines, which are almost identical to the ones in the story. If you look at them visually, they're very interesting and you can kind of figure out what she's saying. But when you have to pronounce that, suddenly hard. you're like, wow, that's that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes across and then you're like, right, right but getting the rhythm of that, is, that's yeah. all the actor. This scene, by the way, which I think we're listening to the actual duel, or we haven't got there yet. Uh, no, this is just still... We started with that. A little bit. Right, that was like the setup. The setup. To the, to the what you guys did, which I have told other friends, uh, not in this podcast, about with that, with the dueling especially, the duel in the story is described for the most right. part. Right. Uh, you hear about it, you get a witness account after the fact, and you get a little lead up to the act, you know, you never actually see the actual duel, right? But... There's not a lot of conversation. It's told, like, and then Jeff said, and then Susan did this, like, by a person who was present. In this version, the Bridges wrote the scene out. They did that a couple of times in this particular piece. And the weird language difficulty, uh, which I'm sure was a pain in the ass from her point of view initially, they matched a voice that is literally a completely made-up voice. Like, I made up a whole culture on Mars, a whole... Yeah, yeah. youth culture that's different than the adult culture. Yeah, but it feels so real and lived it. It's great. I think that's part of why people like this particular story. Yeah. Is that I loved it. I mean, the first time I read it, I was like, this is great. They felt like real people, even though it's completely ridiculous. The whole thing is completely ridiculous, but in a good way, in the happy sci-fi way, it's, it's ridiculous. So, but those scenes I really like because they, they, they pleasantly surprised me because they sounded like... Shall we say... I had an editor once rewrite a couple of paragraphs. Of the book. I didn't. Know, I didn't know that. I had to go back to my original manuscript, and I went, oh "My God, he changed those paragraphs." I, but I thought I wrote those. <laughs> he wrote those. He's really good, or at least he's good at aping my voice because it wasn't just one line; it was a whole paragraph. You guys have done that with a scene. You added in versions of slang that I didn't make up, but they fit. They're part of the. They're part of the texture of all this. It's I mean, I'm going to keep patting you on the back. It's just the way it is. But don't get used to it. You did a really good job of that. I was so well, that was the goal. So yeah. that's good. Yeah. And I remember reading these stories like years ago and being like, eventually we have to do the version <laughs> of this. We have to do it. And he's like, are you crazy? And I'm well, like, read these stories. And he's like, how do we adapt this? I'm like, we can do it. I miss <laughs> saying this before. Uh, and I want to be sure I get it in there before I forget. But one really cool thing um, the director of this episode, Landon Bell, did in the scene with Amina and the computer. The filter that he put on the computer voice, I was really impressed by because it's really easy to just sort of toss a, a crap filter on something that sounds like a phone or a TV. But he put some kind of a modification on it that I feel is very unexpected and yet delivers on what it is. You can tell it's not a human voice uh, between Barbara's performance and the, the modifications that he did on it. And so I really liked that. It gave it a really good flavor that wasn't the expected lazy way to do it. All of your directors have that common. They, they are texture makers. I'm very pleased with that because there's a lot of invisible leaving. <laughs> adds up to a really nice 
enjoyable experience and with such fanciful types of stories. I mean, they're chasing essentially Dracula across a futuristic Mars. Yeah. You know, uh, to be able to ground See, Just that, saying that is great. That's so know, high concept. Insane. It really is. Um, and then, and then, but to be able to make that a grounded reality where people can feel like, oh, I've sat, I could sit in a bar like that. I could, right. I could right. go to a doctor even though there's no such thing as that. I understand what that doctor's office is like. That's all in the texture of the audio. There's no visual cue. Right, that's another great thing that, that he did here. In the, this is the only scene that we get that's set in A-Pole headquarters between uh, Cat Pride as Elzin and uh, Jesse Moore as Asolano. And um, but the like the little like tech noises you can hear in the background yes. when they go to the snitch board and stuff, it feels like the the police station's like sort of a living, breathing place. There's it's a people place. in there working, and it's, it's a, yeah. same when they go to Castle. Same yes. The other thing you guys did with this, which is different than the story, is Osolano is more like the the goofy sidekick voice in the book. Uh, he or she has no real, it's like an old friend, someone I've worked with before, but not really even a friend, just someone I, I work with a lot that we have a good sort of happy working with. In this case, you played them more as friends, both on and off work. I mean, there's a little bit more to uh, Elzin's real story. It's not in the, 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 uh, the, the story's in many ways, like the character stuff's really largely about Amina. Um, Elzin is more like in a, living in a police procedure. Right. Um, and you you added more to her as a character. Um, again, all of which serves the story and made it a thing. Also, her the physical the way you physicalize El Solano, which is not the way it is in the story. I always picture El Solano sort of in this weird satellite that sort of over Mars and is checking in with various cops in a nice, friendly way, but whom you almost never meet. In fact, there's a line, one day I'm going to actually meet you, or something like that, which is not in this, because they do know each other. And right. it adds to the experience. It, uh, I think one thing that's different about reading a book, even though we're all sitting here listening to this together, and theoretically, you really listen to it alone or watch it alone. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's a different kind of experience to watch a show or hear a show than it is to read a book. A book is really just me talking to you. Even right. if you guys are sitting there reading exactly the same book, it's still me talking just to you and me talking just to you. Right. Whereas with this, it's almost like you're talking to the world all the time. And so there's a different set of um, it's just a different set of obstacles that have to be overcome. And there's a different set of needs that have to be. Uh, I'm not sure this works as well in this in this format if Osolano isn't a person. In her life. I don't know if it becomes drier, it becomes less less uh, personal. Okay, right? yeah. You've made That's all of the characters personal rather than just the one in this adaptation. Um, I don't think that it's a comment on the original story. The original story works fine. People clearly dig it. Yeah. But adaptation also means elevation sometimes. And in this case, I think you've done that. Hard trick to pull off. This scene, um, this this long scene here between Amina and Gia, um, this was one of the times where we were thinking, should we show the scenes that Gia's talking about where she escaped from Red? Should we show specifically her, you know, using her vault boots and jumping up the side of Alicia Mons? And we were I like, feel like we had a, a conversation. Yeah, about and in that. this spot, we thought it was better for her to tell it. Uh, rather than show it, because what's important about this is Amina's reaction and what it does to her and how she responds to it. And that's more important than what happened to Gio, who's just this sort of sub-character. That's correct. Gio is incidental. Right. But this is what gives Amina her idea. Maybe I don't have to die. Maybe I can save myself. Yes. And so we wanted that 
because her reactions were the key to this. And so this is one of those times where you have to decide it was better to tell because the core of it was what's important to Amina here and her reactions. I do a lot of adaptation, ironically enough. And, uh, but I've worked for a lot of people on their shows where it's not my name. Mm-hmm. Sure. The masthead. Um, is it a big gear shift for you guys when, you, when you're looking at work like with Archer and Armstrong or with something like this where there's like a very firm, real thing? There's not, it's not just an idea we talked about and you guys go right. It's even like a lot of writers' rooms, you tack up the beats of an episode on the board. Everybody works through all the beats, but we don't talk about like, for the most part, unless there's a really cool line of dialogue. You don't talk about dialogue, things like that. It's really like, here's a sort of basic roadmap, go for it, right? In this case, you have something that's a, it's it's complete in itself. Right. Is it a big gear shift to be able to to sort of, I, you know what I mean? I don't know if it's a gear shift as much as it feels like utilizing a different toolbox. I mean, some of the same tools are in there. You know, you have character and dialogue, but it's like the ad- adapting and feeling like you are serving the original source in the best way possible is very different from creating from scratch. It feels like it uses a different part of your brain. Okay. To me. Well, and it's also like, whoever wrote it, they gave their own flavor to the character. So you want to say, okay, I want to make sure the, the character itself stays... The spirit of it. The spirit of the character is the same, no matter what. But also, like, I mean, Archer and Armstrong, that was Fred Van Lente stuff. And we were like, this is amazing. Like, right. why would we want to change this? Right. The dialogue is incredible. It's crisp like, and nice. Yeah. Right. And Fred was so nice to us, and we talked to him... Many times dude. about you it. You guys are lucky because sometimes the, the source, the, the rights holder can be a maniac. Like, a maniac. He has been lovely and is still being lovely to us. Yes. So he's a lovely guy. And you know what? Another great part about uh, this scene and having this big sort of tell, you know, it's a scene of telling that because you need Amina's reactions, which uh, Shane really nails, you can really hear her curiosity getting mm-hmm. peaked and her, the gears turning in her head. Right. But the way Kristen delivers this, you had to, we had to cast someone that we knew could give this sort of, it's not a monologue, but it's almost a monologue right. because Amina's lines are so small. Right. And she had to emote her way through it like it was terrifying. But then when she saw Red and she gets kind of this... This wistfulness to her voice. Right. You had to be able to pull that off. Over her, yeah. He was kind of hot, though. He really was murdering the hell out of her. And he sounds pretty hot. I mean, like, let's, did let's you, did you, I mean, you didn't see him. I mean, I almost didn't run. Like, it was almost worth it. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, it's a vampire. They can do that. But... Uh, and he sounds terribly sexy. Oh, my God. He did such a great job. <laughs> I'm just saying. You're going to leave me for Joe? Is that what you're saying? Or Joe's yeah, voice, apparently. <laughs> Joe is very happily married. Yeah. But his you. voice will cheat. As that's the thing. His voice is very promiscuous. <laughs> so, we, let the vo- we leave the voice outside sometimes because it just gets on our nerves. I love that read uh, that Shane did there where she's just like overcome like, what? No. Not, no. Yeah. So, also, just weird little things like vault boots. Like, I, I did a weird gesture. Again. 
Uh, like, <laughs> what the hell, dude? Like, I just needed something visually interesting, and I had this picture of this girl terrified, which you've seen a million times in every movie yeah. ever. She's terrified, but luckily she's on Mars, which has a lighter gravity, and kids on Mars play with vault boots the way kids here play with skateboards. Mm-hmm. And you could picture Dracula chasing yet another teenage girl through the you know the woods or whatever sure. and all of a sudden she's like you know what leave and she's like 500 yards away he's like damn it have to be faster more vampire stuff you know but just i was just picturing the visual of that if it ever were made into a, a, a film of any kind or even just illustrated would be so cool. It would right? be very cool. And Geo is not the brightest bulb in the family mm. in the chandelier, so <laughs> it's literally Lexi happens to be wearing these boots. <laughs> oh, Geo, poor Geo. That was one of the uh, uh, small tweaks we made too. Is that uh, in the original story, I believe that uh, Elzin and Osolano, the the snitchboard tip on red is anonymous. But yes, here it is, is due anonymous. to Geo because That's correct. since we streamlined everything and put it in the same night, we thought it was too. Convenient that a random right, tip a came in right then. Well, there wasn't days like, between it. No, that makes sense. Why right. Why the other, in the original story, there was more time. And don't so you guys have it happen. where she tells she tells Amina, and Amina's like, I'll take care of it. Isn't that what you guys did? Yeah. Yeah, this is great. It works. Your compression worked. For this story, it worked. What's great about it, too, I remember we were talking, not you and I, but Hellboy. And how there's three different, now four, different versions of Hellboy. Right? Hellboy's, the Guillermo del Toro, Hellboy movies. There's the, obviously the Hellboy comic by Mike Mignola, which is fantastic. Uh, and there are Hellboy cartoons, which not as many people know even exist, but which are also great in their own right. None of them are the same as one another. All of them are equally Hellboy, right? They got all the core Hellboyness of it distilled into each of these things. But if you only ever watched one, so if you only ever watched one, you'd walk away going, yes, I know Hellboy. And you would be right. But if you watch all three, you're like, wow, they're really not similar to one another, and yet they're all the same thing. And same way with this Redshift. Story version of Redshift and this audio version are quite different in many respects, but it's still Redshift. Like, it very much, very much is. Part of me wants to see Redshift on TV. Oh, Christ. Please. <laughs> Universe. Like a cable, cable, us, like... Let me Eight lose. to ten episodes. To the, I'm going to tell you off the air what I envisioned this chapter too, because <laughs> now there must be one because I just I'm like obsessed with it now. Uh, but I'm not telling y'all. Y'all don't get to hear it. Only the backstage people get to hear it. Um, secrets. Yeah, many secrets. I'm chock full of that. Joe did a good job with the Romanian, by the way. Oh, as far yeah. as I know, I'm not a Romanian expert. I don't know as long if as he it wasn't really if he had Romanian, a weird accent it was more with like it, the kind of a little but, bit. Yeah. I think he did everything. Remember, I mean, all of this sounds like, all of our idea of what Dracula sounds like comes from Bella freaking Lugosi. Yeah, that's okay. fair. So everyone's doing like a bad Bella Lugosi instead of like truly trying to sound like. And they're still doing it. Yeah. I mean, they're, it doesn't stop. The new What We Do in the Shadows, they it's all still, still talk that way. Right. So <laughs> this was this didn't sound like that to me. This sounded like somebody from the Balkans who happens to be Dracula to me. So. And also remember, there's going to be accent drift. This is a minimum of 300 years in the future. True. That's so, fair. That's fair. Um, who's to say what it sounds like? You know you work too much, right? Hey, stop mothering me. Stop being a big fat baby lady. A big fat baby lady. I like it. <laughs> I love their relationship. Got it. Thanks. Wait. This is it? I told you the accounts wouldn't confirm. 
Stunner's lit. This, by the way, you're witnessing the. This has happened before. Uh, I think Batgirl was created on TV and then migrated into the comics. This duelist has sliced. Your modification to Osolano will inform how I write if I do stay in this universe and any other story. The Elzen. Elsa and Osolano relationship will match what you guys did and will not be the way it was. Oh, that's cool. When I first did it, because when I was a much younger writer, but two, I didn't ex- envision anything beyond these moments. Sure. So uh, now that I do, you've created a version of Osolano that needs to stick around and gives our more, like, there are Watson and Holmes now. Barbara Dillon as the computer voice and the tube announcer. Catherine Pride as Elzin, Jesse Moore as Osolano, Jack Kalk as the server, and Melissa Autumn Hearn as the muse. Written by Jeffrey and Susan Bridges, based on the original short story Red Shift by Jeffrey Thorne. Dreamnasium theme by Vincent Morrison. Music by Josh Mullen at thetunepeddler.com. Directed by Landon Bell. Produced by Pendant Productions. This production is copyright 2019 Jeffrey Thorne and Pendant Productions. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Dreamnasium. Function. Noun. Okay, so a little bit before uh, we were talking about how in that scene with Amina and Gio, I felt like you could hear the gears turning in Amina's mind as she was listening and the way Shane delivered it. What I want to mention is that uh, I think Joe did such an amazing job, uh, especially in this second episode, uh, when he starts talking to Amina and the, the curiosity that he has sort of flowing under the surface where like, you're intriguing me, but I don't want to let you know. And I feel like you can just kind of feel it in there. It's, I'm constantly blown away by actors because it's not a thing, not a skill set I have. And so uh, I think he just, he's I amazing. That, I want to listen to him talk forever. Also, you guys don't, one of the things the audience probably doesn't know is a lot of the time these people aren't in the same room together. They're Correct. doing their they stuff never independently. Are. <laughs> and I got the vibe that these people were sitting in a conveyance together, that there was a seduction going on. And they That's all to the, it's, it's certainly to the actors because that's part of their job. But it's also to the director who's the only yes. person who has the whole thing in their head at the same time mm-hmm. and has to make sure the tones match and the vibe is the same and all of that. That's a that's a tough, tough job to do when everyone's not only not in the same room but not even in the same city. Right, and one of the things uh, with the way we do this with sort of our actors doing satellite recording is that our directors will sometimes even pull different takes from the same actor and mix them together, different parts of their sentences to oh, get yeah. the right kind of performance that matches. Right Oh, yeah, so it's a very involved process. But oh, Liam oh, the hologram. Liam the hologram. This is Philip Weber, Captain Farragut. Oh he my had a million, god, he had a million voices. He's a genius. He's so wonderful, guys. Like, he's just every time he does hundred and fifty percent on everything. Liam the hologram only exists in the audio verse. Well, there is okay. a Liam in the story. Liam's in the story, and there's a some sort of a gatekeeper hologram. Right, we kind of they are not the same person. Together to sort of make and it more streamlined. I was like, when I first heard this, was the first time my al- my eyebrow went up. I was like, what? <laughs> Right, but you know, by this time you one, I've worked with these people a lot in the past. But uh, you're like, okay, I'm this deep into the story. Let's see what they do before I lose my mind. The jerk rights holder that I've always worried about. Right. It works perfectly.
it's it's a perfect it's a perfect way of compressing all of that stuff. The whole side issue. Nina used to go out with Leah because he got tired of it. Who cares, right? Like that's in the story. So what? It's not. It's not. It's not necessary for you. And this is a delightful, weird character, which I love. Delightful, weird character. So. Unless you could date a hologram, I mean, maybe. maybe. <laughs> you never no. know. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to live long enough for that. Thank God. It's a weird. Reginald Barkley action going. Oh my oh. god. That hologram oh, is that's just... so amazing that you just said that. <laughs> I just always think who was the person who had to hose down the hologram? Yeah. Right? What a disgusting space that must have been. It totally had to have If it can replicate stuff in, it can replicate stuff out. Uh-huh. Like they put their old plates and leftover food back in the replicator and it takes it back away. That's, so. that's another thing they never really discussed, which yeah. we shouldn't be doing right now. <laughs> what happens to the food you eat in these hollow adventures? Right? Exactly. If, if you ate it, did your it body even. Re- what happens once you turn off the thing? Does your body go whoop, suddenly empty? Like, it's, it's nothing. This is why people come to Dreamnasium commentary. Oh my god. Star Trek. Talk. Oh my god. That's just, just I figured like the hologram, the holodeck must have smelled like every brothel and every gym <laughs> oh that you never wanted to be in. Oh god. Disgusting. I'm sure they had that disinfecting, I guess. Well, you that know how they had antiseptic? that beam that went through the ship and yeah, killed man. everything? That's why. That's <laughs> why. why. It's it was, mostly for They the tell you it's the whole ship. It was really just for the holodeck. Yeah. Oh boy. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of commentary you get when you come to our That's show. right. <laughs> so this episode uh, was directed by Catherine Pride, and I love the uh, castle club sounds that she's got going here with the... It's really easy to do something like this and make it sound, like, bad. But mm. it doesn't sound bad. It sounds... Good. I think it was great too because in the in the script we put like when the door opens the club is full of oons oons music. Yes, so. that's all we put. We call those bunch of bunch of clubs. Choose your weapons. That's a Chris Downey riddle. And in here we have uh, Marty Brengle as Kwai and Perry Whittle showing up again as the Bravo, who is shortly made quick work of. Yeah, it is Dracula. Come on, what do you think? Sorry, man. Wrong day, wrong dude. <laughs> These things happen. I really like the whole concept of there being like poetry duels, though. That was that was a lot of fun. A lot of things like that come out of the fact that you know, at least in my case, I know the person's reading a book, and I wanted to do something that is is part of the story. I did. Uh, this is going to sound like a really weird, straight stretch, but uh, I, Marvel Comics has this weird sort of. I guess, I don't know what the name of it is. It's a division that, like, when they do a media tie-in with, like, in this case, Lexus, right? Black Panther tied in with Lexus. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, okay, I'll write an issue or two. So they did this whole story where this machine intelligence takes over Wakanda and they have to go into the Matrix to fight with it. But how are you going to fight it when it's so superior? And the Black Panther, and this wasn't something that they gave me. This is one of the few things that was not dictated. He beats the machine by telling it a fairy tale. A folk tale that has a riddle at the end of it that the machine can't answer the riddle because it's a machine and people really seem to spark to that one little aspect of that story yeah. and i was like yeah and you can't really do it in another way the whole point is that you're reading something and you read the story and then you get told the same story in the same way if i told it to you it'd just be some guy talking on screen but if you read it you're pulling it in the same way the other characters so i thought in this case the Poetry duels, what would these futuristic Martians 
Aresians. They even renamed Mars, Aresians. right? Because yes. they're so freaking snooty. It can't, <laughs> it can't be the Roman version. We're going back to the original Greek. Um, but uh, they have these weird knives. Like the there aren't rapiers, right. clefts. And they have uh, these competitions. But it had to feel both like dangerous liaisons and also kind of like Blade Runner. Right, so what would the young people be doing? All their stuffs coming out of re- their version of retro would be still, from our point of view, advanced in the future. They're three hundred years from now, so them going back a hundred years is still like two hundred years from now for us. So, what kind of weirdness would they get into? And it's everything, right? All that stuff about the changing genders for fun, mm-hmm. and you know, okay, if you come to this party. The winner gets to have sex with anyone they choose of this particular contest. So if you're in the room, you've agreed to this. Mm-hmm. We don't want to hear any crap later or your social standing will be zero. Uh-huh. Right? And, of course, it's the same thing as 60 Seconds in a Closet when you were a teenager or preteen, you know, or spin the bottle or something like that. It's essentially the same thing, except they don't care that it's actually sex. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, even changing the name of sex to twisting is I love twisting. What a great euphemism. <laughs> so, well, I didn't make it up. Chubby Checker did. Right? You think that song is about dancing, y'all crazy. Okay. I think some people have learned something right yeah. now. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, things like that all, it's a, it was my version of what your directors and you guys have done by adding this sort of unnecessary, but I hope good layer of texture to something that didn't need it. But, but it makes it feel more real. It makes it feel more grounded. And it's yeah. such a fanciful story combining these elements in this way. Like, you, you, I, could th- I can see someone expecting that it will turn out to be somebody who thinks he's Dracula. Or some sort of right. escape yeah. animatron that's from a robot version of Dracula. It's actually Dracula, which is the point of the story. But the fancifulness of the craziness of it. You have to really ground. You have to have, like, Amina's dying of something that's slowly killing her, that she's aware of how long she's going to be alive. That's where all this really started from. It's the idea that you could get a diagnosis now where they're like, okay, four months. It's five, six if we really, like, are diligent. Yeah. Right? But about midway through, this is what the crap you're going to be dealing with, regardless of what we do. You suddenly are told you have early onset Alzheimer's. You don't find out after the fact where nothing's where you're already sort of getting Losing loopy, it, yeah. and you don't know everyone around you. That, you know, so you don't have any problem, right? The right. person who has it doesn't have the problem. But if I told you before you're symptomatic, okay, in about three weeks you're going to start forgetting a whole lot of stuff. Those three weeks are going to be hell. They're yeah. going to be hell. What would you give up? What would you do? What bargain would you make, right, right? Mm-hmm. to I don't know. I get to stay beautiful and young and I never die and I don't have this thing that's literally eating my brain. It stops and goes away forever. And all I have to do is let this guy suck all the blood out of my body via his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Let's go. You know. That sounds great. It's horrible, but the option is a slow, ugly death. Yeah. Yeah, of course you're going to go for it. And so that story can be told in any environment. It can be told in the present day. It can be told in the far future. It can be told in ancient Byzantium. It's exactly the same dilemma. I know I'm going to die in this really degrading, ugly way. Mm-hmm. I will do anything to get out of it. Right. You know. How does it move? And it's very understandable and very human. Yep. 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 Darling, who cares? And this is the the first time now through all of this. We're we're almost 
halfway through the second episode, and it's the first time that Red and Amina are together. Now, right. they're together for the rest of the story, and I, I'm i also now kind of sad that Red isn't dead. Because <laughs> I could listen to these two talk to each other Wouldn't they have been for, great like, together? five hours. They Wouldn't they have really been good. awesome? I suppose oh, that's why it's tragic. First. It should be a musical. No <laughs> <laughs> a tragic musical. But it was like one of the, the things like uh, like you were saying, I think, that came out of this is that Elzin and Osolano sounded so great together and had such a great relationship. Yeah. And that wasn't necessary. I mean, you were hoping for that. But then when you hear it, it's something different than what's in the script. And it's the same thing with, with Joe and Shane yeah, here. They did a great Hearing job. them together, it was just there's something about the way their voices play together. They're, they're sort of trying to outmaneuver each other. It's just like... So listenable to me. I just want to yeah. like rewind it and listen and listen and listen over and over again. And I think on a weird, crazy level, though, I mean, Dracula's a monster. Like he's literally just murdering teenagers for fun, right? Because he's bored essentially. Um, and would have been perfectly happy to drain this chick dry and take whatever was in the place and keep doing that for a while until he found something else to amuse him. But the offer she makes would have been a pretty interesting story to tell, right? She's the, the third richest girl in the galaxy, in the known galaxy. Uh, she has access to everything. She's a ruthless uh, uh, information hoarder and bargainer, by the way. You guys made that shift, or that's the way people can use it. You can use information as a currency. Delightful. Um, uh, also not something that's in this story. It's different. It's social currency, but they made it actual currency in this story, which I thought was great. Um, but it's a testament to the, 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 the adaptation and the actors that you're like, it, it feels like a tragedy when something bad happens to a character like this because you can see what the potential was. Right. Sorry, she's dead, y'all. You know, and he's going with her. Nope, we're not having the adventures of Amina and Dracula running around the galaxy. Sorry. That's another story. <laughs> this one you gotta cry. <laughs> so, you know, um, also at the end, I was, and that's why I like what you guys did at the end because it gives it a little more of a button which I didn't know about buttons back then. Um, I like the idea of the officer who you led all the way in all these stories, every story. At some point, the officer gets some kind of closure. No closure. There's a dead girl that's mummified, and the person I've been after for all these murders is literally just gone. Like, how did he get out of here? I have no idea. He doesn't show up on cameras. So uh, I don't know what that's about. So even if you were monitoring magnetically, it would look like he just vanished. Which is impossible. So, what the hell? Like, that's all she gets for the rest of her life. But you guys added in the, look, stop being just a cop all the time. Go to the celebration. So I didn't think of that. It's, 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 it's a character bit that only comes by how you... It's, it's the ripple effect of changing Ocelano, right? It creates their relationship. Right. And look, girl, you can't just be a cop all the time. You gotta live, right? Which is, in a weird way, part of what the story is about, right? What will you do for life? Want to be sure this evening goes smoothly. Do you know, in my youth, this guy's great. <laughs> He's just great. A place of stars above and below. A place of darkness. Yeah, that line was so great, and his read out of it was so great. We put it in the trailer. We did. He's great. He's truly great. There was a woman among my people, a dark woman from a traveling clan. 
And I like that he's been around for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, and he still is like wowed by technology. And he still has he has some like superstitions. Like when she shows up as the hologram, like, he's the a spirit, and he's like kind of scared, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I didn't really. I don't think I even got at truly in the story. I have a couple of paragraphs about what Earth is like and how people on Aries think about Earth. Right. But like when she tries to get information, she's like, oh, Christ, i got to go through the Earth systems. Like Earth is just a crap hole at this point. We have just, just destroyed Earth. It, like he even says, there's no sunsets anymore. It's always like this weird sort of pollution-y gray, right? And um, so I got the feeling that the tech there isn't that great either by comparison. So like... Their future on Earth is sort of like a bad version of Blade Runner in the city and Mad Max everywhere else, right? But but Ares is like halfway to Star Trek, you know? Like, they're totally snooty about Earth, you know? And there's other planets out there that are probably even better than Ares, right? So when he gets there, there's a whole lot of stuff he's just never seen. Also, there's things you can do on on Mars because of gravity and because of their... Thin atmosphere, even though they've obviously terraformed it to some degree in this story, mm-hmm. there's levels of radiation that are different, all kinds of things that would change yeah. not the laws of physics, but what you can do about that. Right. Right. So, um, that coupled with just advancements in technology that we already know about, for instance, why don't we have our magnetic trains? Because people want to spend the money to build our magnetic trains. But that same magnetic train on Mars would not only be a really effective way to get around, be really cost effective because the gravity is low, mm-hmm. right? So, all of these things, if you try to, this is all world building crap, and none of it gets written expressly in the story, but which the, I feel like the writer must do to give the same kind of direct, the same kind of nuance the actors and the directors and the adapters are giving to the source material. In the source material, the writer must know how does Mars work? How does Ares actually work? Why? What would Dracula's response be? How did he get here? In a freaking metal box on a starship or our equivalent of a starship and he gets up on a planet that has two moons? What does that do to him? You know, what's, what's the day cycle? The day-night cycle is different. Mm-hmm. Right? All these things would be like, you could do a separate story of just his first day on Mars before he even kills anyone. Just, holy crap, I'm on Mars! You know? Yeah. Like that. What am I going to do about it? There's a whole version of that that you could tell. Um, so it is nice. To, and also he believes in magic because he's a magical being. Even though right. There's nothing here that's magic. Right? So looking out and seeing this thing from his boyhood. Someone described, a woman describes, what they always say about Nostradamus, who I do not believe in. There's no such thing as that. But a lot of people who do believe in it say those prophecies are about person from that period not being able to interpret a helicopter or right. a jet plane or an atomic yeah. explosion and sure. using the language of the day to describe something that he had no reference point for. In the same way, this woman, she's describing him looking out on this, this plateau of city lights with the, the naked night sky of Mars. What's, how's he going to tell him that? You know, And now he sees it and freaks out. Like, wait, this is what she was... Well, okay, well, what was the rest of that prophecy? I don't even remember what the rest of it was because I was so busy killing her for pissing me off. <laughs> like, you know? So much more than you're giving me. I will do it after you open the doors. Before. As you wish. Just one thing. And he's so great. That voice is like syrup. Yep. Jeez. <laughs> Show me your neck. 
now. Tell me. I love when the uh, the shutters come down and you can hear them rotating around the stereo field. Uh-huh. They're everywhere. Yeah, you ain't getting out of here, buddy. <laughs> All right. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> you think too in these vampire stories, I always. As a kid, as a teenager, especially going through puberty and all that stuff, there's this weird sort of, it's horrible, but the, a lot of the writers make a point of being pleasurable to die this way because of the way the vampire works on a human. It's like they either wake up right at the end like, oh my God, he's killing me, and then it's too late and you're dying, but, or they don't and they just love it. And I'm like, that's both horrible and kind of sexy in a weird, I don't even know why it's sexy kind of way. This you is know, why people love vampires. This yes. is exactly why people love vampires. Mm-hmm. It's this weird, like, I hate to say it, but there's a sort of a S&M bondage and a little bit. type yeah. thing in there, but a very soft core version, basically. Totally. Version of it. It's like this total, it's all for you now. Like, I'm giving up all everything. You can have everything. And that bite right there was a perfect example of that crap, man. Like, her, her response, because the bite is vicious. Right? But her response is like, oh, like, <laughs> he literally just put two, four spikes into your neck. Oh my God. I do a lot of screaming. Useless. I will do this myself. This is a, there's a bit that um, the director, Cat Pride, added in here uh, underneath his talking where he's still trying to. He's still hitting the button, and that wasn't in the script. He, we only had him doing it once, but she kept, Adam kept doing it, and really it's smart. That helps, yeah. And fast, in his desperation. really fast. Right? He's like, "Let me out! Let me out!" Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Are you a spirit? I love that Amina was so smart. She set this up ahead of time. Like, yeah, he's probably going to kill me, so I'm going to make sure he dies too, and he's going to know it was me. Hey, <laughs> I'm going to die anyway. I'd rather go out like this. Right? Yeah. You know. But you get paid for it because I was being straight with you. Also, there's this weird larger story of the other Fiskockers. If she's yes. the nice one, <laughs> like, holy crap. Right? What are the other ones like? You know? I never mentioned if she has any siblings. Uh-huh. You know, she never, she didn't want to mention. This is her parents' house. This is her right. dad's place. This is even her place. work like that. There are no others like me. There never could be. It's not something I like this as a bit of a twist on the vampire thing where he can't make more. He's he's alone. He's the only one. Otherwise it's not a curse from my point of view. It's a curse on the rest of humanity. Why would you do this? (laughs) He could just make more of himself. You know? But in the original story obviously he can't make many more. He likes it. So I know that. Uh, Oh, by the way, one thing that no one has picked up on yet, Elzin's name, Van Helsing. Oh, I didn't even, oh. In all the years, no one. Well, now everyone's going to know. Well, I've told you. It doesn't count if I tell you. <laughs> no, it doesn't count. Um, We're dumb. But yeah, so there's all a little weird stuff in a lot of my stories like that. And this was obviously based on the vampire mythology. I was trying to figure a way to figure, fit, fit in a Quincy Harker descendant, but that, that was too much. But the idea that at some point... I kept thinking, oh, someone's going to figure out, oh my god, this is Van Helsing versus Dracula. After all these years of Van Helsing's finally going to really kill Dracula, and then when it doesn't happen, oh, Jeff! You know, Mm -hmm. but no one caught it. I was being so clever. Too clever by half. Too clever. Too clever by half. 
and this is uh, this bit coming up is my favorite of Cat's sound work in the episode that when he Joe's screaming as he burns alive and then the, the flames you can hear behind the door as he pounds on the door it's just it's horrific and wonderful let's listen shall we <laughs> listen to the death Officer Elson with Apol, please. Takes a while, don't it? Well, well, he's burning up. Oh, that's horrible. Too much light dumping infrared. Could have told you. Better. Duh. <laughs> what are you, an idiot? <laughs> I mean, the furniture's here. I love that the audience finally finds out what happened in there, as Elzin does, right as she gets in. Mm-hmm. You don't technically, you don't know for sure exactly what happened until you find out. Massive, dense. That red's gone. Door, vaguely um, fist-shaped. Oh, hell. Care to elaborate? Body on the floor. It's the fist buckle princess. Looks like she's been. Mummified bodies. Delicious. Completely dried out. I'll call in the forensic bots. Let them determine the motive. No sign of our duelist? None. Now we're just listening to the episode because we're like, there's no other way out of this room but the windows. It's intense, man. Nowhere to go but down. Miles and miles of down. Maybe you landed on a lower floor outcropping or. Checking. That was the one thing that uh, compressing the timeline and putting it all in one night um, allowed us to do was gave us this moment that, well, if he was leaving Geo as the sun was about to come up, then it would have been coming up here. And so it all just sort of placed together really mm-hmm. well that, you know, just like, what, like an hour or two later, he, it was up. Right. And depending on where you are on Mars, right. how high up. Yeah. And definitely her tower is huge, so. This was the second Dreamnasium episode with fireworks. How about that? <laughs> what's, weird? what's up with Jeff and fireworks? <laughs> Actually, I didn't invent the fireworks. You put the fireworks in. The Aurora was just the sun coming in. You guys made that whole festival thing. Did we? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, the Aurora is just how Martians refer to sunrise. Right. But, okay. So, well done again. See, you writing so much, you forget. It's been a while. It happens, man. Jeffrey Thorne's Dreamnasium. Or how many millions of words we've all written? Redshift, part two. Featuring the voice talents. Well, that wraps Shane this one up, and we will be Scarlet. back with your last Joe commentary in what? a few weeks. Catherine yep. Thank you for listening. Yes, Again, you. give us reviews and yes. ratings at iTunes, please. Stars and reviews, please. As Hit that algorithm. Mary Whittle as the Bravo, Barbara Dillon as the computer voice, and Melissa Autumn Hearn as the muse. Written by Jeffrey and Susan Bridges, based on the original short story Red Shift by Jeffrey Thorne. Dreamnasium theme by Vincent Morrison. Music by Josh Molin at thetunepeddler.com. Directed by Catherine Pride. Produced by Pendant Productions. This production is copyright 2019, Jeffrey Thorne and Pendant Productions. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.